Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Hello, and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca Rogers. Today, we have with us Stephanie Lord. Ms. Lord is a retired teacher who has worked with children with autism and adults with dementia. She is the co-author of the book, Planning to Learn, which was published in 2007, where she shares tried and tested techniques for creating and using a personal planner to help individuals on the autism spectrum develop independence, and the book, Transition or Transformation, helping young people with autism spectrum disorder set out on a hopeful journey towards their adult lives, which was published in 2010. This book also covers information on autism, aromatherapy, and aroma touch, which is another field of expertise for Miss Lord. Both of these books were published by Jessica Kinsley Publisher and can be purchased at www.jkp.com. Hello, Stephanie. How are you today? Thank you so much for coming to join us all the way from England. Well, it's lovely to be talking to you. I'm very excited and I just hope you understand my accent. So we're excited that you have been so gracious to give us this time to give us an overview of the body of work that you have done in the area of autism. And there is so much you have to share with us that I want to just give you immediately the platform. And I'm going to start by asking you this question. There are so many things that I would like to know about how you got started and what make you become interested in the field of autism. Was that when you became a teacher? Yes, it was. Um, I had been teaching for five years in a primary school. And I was very interested in the what we call expressive creative arts, music and dance and drama. And I had the wonderful opportunity to go back to college and study uh, movement education. And I took a special module to work with children with special needs. And while I was um, doing the course, I had a placement in a school with children with autism. And it seemed to make perfect sense to start thinking about how I might change career and use the kind of things that I was passionate about, but things that I could see were having a real effect on children in a special school. Now, at this particular time of working, a lot of the interventions were very formal, you know, giving instructions to children about do this, do that, listen. And the thing about the creative expressive arts is Everything is right. So whatever children give you is the perfect answer. So it was a lovely way of working. Fantastic. So that was the window in which you were able to see a need and you decided to take your energy and focus it towards helping this population. Now, your first book was Planning to Learn. I love that title. I think it's, it's such a significant way of putting the importance of being prepared for learning. What is this book about and why did you decide to write it? Okay, well, I was at this time of writing the book. I had been um, a head teacher of a special school, a residential school. I'm not sure if you have them in in the States. Um, In England, we have schools where children who have very complex difficulties 
and whose parents finds it incredibly hard to manage their behavior, they come to a residential school. And I had built a, a wonderful team around me to work together. And one of the key staff was a young speech and language therapist who co-authored the book. And she was really excited about getting staff to, and staff are our support staff, to work with children in a very positive, proactive way. So we're going to switch um, the power dialogue from the teacher telling children what to do to the adult shaping the behaviour of the child so that we could see what's difficult for them, what's hard. Um, so it, it was a, you know, a, a, a really excited time and everything that's in the book is based on the work we were doing with children at school. What specifically brought you to the point where you felt that you needed to talk about planning and how to learn to plan? Okay. Well, the, the central theme of the book is making a planner, just in the way that we have, do you remember filofaxes and organizers? So at that time, adults had filofaxes and organizers, children didn't. So the whole idea about planning to learn was to gather all the information children needed in a book that was portable. This is pre uh, PECs and pre, well, it, it, so I'm, I was going to say pre-teach, it's not pre-teach, it runs alongside teach. But in the teach system, the structure is put on walls, it's put on desktops. In our system, what we were doing is we were gathering the information for planning to learn in a file of facts. So what we would say to children is, let's check your planner. So when somebody was having a difficult time, we'd say, let's see what's in your planner. Let's look in your planner. Rather than being the director that says, why don't you do? We, we spent a lot of time doing, I wonder what's happening here. Hand on out my head helps me think is one of the mantras. What's happening here? What could we do? I know, let's look in your planner. So kind of pause while we opened the planner and we turned the pages because what we're doing is sharing okay adults are here to help but they're not here to direct they're here to help and shape so that was the the tenant that runs through the book fantastic so what i hear is that you were giving a lot of control back to the kids or the teens or the adult to to realize that what was in that planner was something that they had put there and it was part of their choice absolutely and and that kind of underpins the belief that behavior changes when it's your choice. Um, so although the adult is always saying perhaps this one or perhaps that one, the initial choices have come through careful work with children in, in finding the quiet, calm place to sit down and work or through observation of what my child likes to do, you know, and pulling those choices together. I think that's such an important subject. I would love it if you actually expand on that a little bit more because... It is a difficult dance when you have kids in school where you have to follow a curriculum versus understanding that concept and the importance of that. Would you like to elaborate on that? The, the actual time that we were writing was quite a creative time in English education. And this is where, you know, making that cultural link sometimes doesn't always work. And it was an opportunity to create a curriculum around a child. So the personalized, the personalization agenda was key in the sense of what is it important for this child to learn, not 
this is what the government has said this child must learn. What is it important that this child must know to function on a daily basis, not what's the next historical fact that we have to learn? So we were building up from having the child as the centre of our focus, the centre of what it, where is this learning journey going to take us because this is really important that you know this next rather than here are there the facts that we want to see how we can shape them for you to learn. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Where is this learning journey going to take us? Because this is really important that you know this next, rather than here are the facts that we want to see how we can shape them for you to learn. Exactly. And I think that's, again, such an important point, because here in the U.S. in public education, it is a challenging marriage yes. between being able to allow that freedom, that independence, that most typical children inherently seem to have more of versus uh, our children that have more challenges seem to have less of. And so being able to marry those requirements with the humanity and the respect that this individual still deserve is always a very challenging dance back and forth. And, and, you know, if we look at education in England now, I would think it's probably as challenging as the system that you're describing because we have a prescribed curriculum um, central to the focus of education is raising the achievement of children and we have to marry that alongside well what is it about autism that makes us think differently what is it about this child with autism that means we have to view the world differently you know it's it's standing in their shoes rather than saying this is what will improve learning generally. And, and that is a hard balance. And I think in the past, sometimes we have stepped one way, which was to follow the child's interest solely. And we perhaps haven't opened the door and open windows to the exciting field of learning. But it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance between letting the child know they are the most important thing and the things that they're interested in will you know, lead us on to something else. Yeah. Fantastic points. And like you're talking about that balance does create a challenge for us as a society to be willing to shift 
or to broaden our perspective of what we think things should be like and to take the time to listen, to look, to, to observe and respect that other people now and with the advent of autism only increasing, that there's going to be a whole population of people that see the world quite differently than we do. You know, it it is a leap of faith in believing that the journey might be difficult, but the actual outcome as an adult will be positive. Because as an adult, when we've allowed a child to follow their interests, often those interests lead to employment. I think the difficulty is when we're trying to balance behavior that may be damaging to the individual in some way that the outcomes for an adult are more difficult to accept, sorry, are more difficult to assess. Um, And because autism is such a spectrum disorder, isn't it? You know, we're talking in general terms, but actually we need to talk about this person and this person and this person. Correct. It's so individual. And yes, there are some behaviors that are concerning and that's the part where there has to be so much more time to understand yeah. and, again, to listen. And, uh, and as a society, that is our challenge. Yeah. I also know that uh, we talked about this wonderful book, Planning to Learn. But how about some quick tips that you could give to our listeners today, something that could help them maybe tomorrow? in order to support their kids? Okay, well, planning to learn the first chapter is the plans to calm because we know that um, autism is associated with high anxiety and we found that a lot of our behaviour problems that we experienced in school and the parents told us about that they experienced at home, when we analysed them carefully, were down to anxieties. You know, the children were in fight mode or flight mode or just overwhelmed by adrenaline and stuck in fear and panic. So our first mantra is breathe and blow. Now we say breathe quietly because we don't want people taking a great breath in. Blow is the most important thing because when you blow, you have to breathe. Do it again, blow, and you have to breathe in. See if you can make your breath longer or maybe blow on your hand. And suddenly the body starts to readjust. So you're taking in more air, better oxygen, more oxygen to the brain. And we switch to the parasympathetic system, which starts to calm the body down. So that might not work for your kids because you're going to have to do that over a period of time. But it works great for staff and great for parents. So when you are losing it, when you see your child is in stress, you are going to be in distress. So calm yourself down. So breathe and blow. Do it three times. What a great tip. Emotions are contagious. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Well, I mean, being a practitioner, I can regulate my own body. Suddenly your shoulders are going up so you can't breathe. Your voice is going up. Your movements become more frenetic. And then the child is modeling back to you just what you're doing. So you're in this dialogue of, you know, tension and anxiety. Let's talk more about your next book, Transition and Transformation. Why was this the next subject that you decided to talk about? What interests you about it? Well, this again with I, again with the staff that I've worked with over a long period of time, I was probably you know just 
such a fortunate person that over my career in autism, I worked with a clinical psychologist, John Clements, and um, an educational psychologist, Julia Hardy. And they would come into school and we would spend time looking at, from their different perspectives, what I was trying to achieve, I, I wanted young people with autism to develop the life skills that enabled them to be competent and confident as an adult. So we would discuss how we could create balance. Now, the balance is between planning to learn where you're trying to give the power to a child, transitioning through to early adulthood, where actually at work, in most circumstances, it's your manager who has the control. So we were looking at things like mantras. At work, your boss will give you instructions. At work, think it but don't say it. At work, follow the instructions. At home, your choice. So transition and transformation encapsulates that journey of discussion, um, some of the things that we put into place, how we transitioned young people to understand the world of work, um, how we would help young people understand the difference between the public setting of the workplace and the private setting of what you can do at home, how you behave at home. So we, it, it's pulled together all the ideas, um, you know, of a head teacher, so an educationalist clinical psychologist and an educational psychologist. What kind of suggestions would you give parents as they're getting ready for a teenager moving towards that place of independence? I mean, there's some work to be done beforehand without the child, with the parents, working out what's important for them at home. You know, is this a family where mum gives instructions and children follow instructions. It is a family where mum and dad decide what we're going to do. We will tell you, you can choose. So it, it's trying to work out what kind of family we are and what are the things that we hold important? What are the values that we hold important? So there's a bit of planning to be done, first of all. And then when that's decided, those mantras go up on the fridge. Now, that's not for the children to have to read, but it's for the parents to remember, this is what we say in meltdown, meltdown time. You know, dad makes the decision. In this family, dad makes the decision. You know, during the daytime, mum decides what we'll do. So working out those mantras is what we call them, working out those mantras and sticking to them. Now, over time, gradually, children become used to hearing them and understand that there's a positive consequence. There's a good reward for actually listening to mum and dad. And then it moves to the next stage on work experience. At work, your boss tells you what to do. This is what the boss will say. So I suppose it's surrounding the child with the language that they're going to hear and the consequence of what that language means. To become self-aware, not just as an individual, but as a family unit. So in some ways, you're creating a small community within the family, yes, yes. which you then can, if you know what the basic structure is of that, hopefully you can transfer into a community setting, into the real world, so you can generalize those same behaviors that you're training. And, and the same rule applies, you know, in the library. The librarian will tell you what to do. In the library, we listen to the librarian. At the hospital, the doctor would tell us what to do. You know, it generalizes to a lot of, a lot of setting. 
I mean, coincidentally, the cohort of young people that we had at school at this time actually successfully went on to employment. Now, if you'd have asked me before this time, did people with autism work successfully, I would have said no. Um, and this group of young people that we followed through to their, you know, adult years, um, they're in their mid-20s now, have sustained and stay in employment. And I think it's because of all of that training and education I'm planning to learn about hearing the words and following them through. Fantastic. What a great pilot. I'm listening to you and I'm excited about the fact of what this can mean if it's truly a model that can be utilized from home to school to community. Fantastic model. And at the same time, I hear the challenge as for caregivers who have to come to a place of being willing to be self-aware and take the time to themselves analyze their role and become aware of what are, like you mentioned, those positive behaviors, those negative behaviors. So the work starts with the caregiver. Um, and in, in the book, Planning to Learn, you know, the first chapter is helping caregivers get themselves organized, um, get their toolkit together, you know, get the resources they need. I think it's a human trait, but it, it's it can have such a negative consequence around people with autism is we like to jump in with the good idea. We hear the idea and we want to do it straight away, but actually we might need to spend a month gathering our resources, getting the material together, rehearsing how we say things. Um, and we would rehearse with staff at school um, sitting posture, you know, how they would sit, listening posture, looking postures, because all of those things are so important for the person with autism. And yet, because we're being in our typical mode, I can talk to you while my feet are maybe swinging around on the chair. You know, I can talk to you while my hands might be picking up the pencil. But if you're the person with autism, you're going to be more interested in what's my hand doing with the pencil than what am I saying or, you know, where I'm looking. So we, we spend a lot of time training people in, in the sense of how are you sitting? How are you looking? How are you showing you're listening? And that's where the aromatherapy came in eventually. How are you calming yourself down to be in the right place to work with children? That's a perfect segue. Thank you. <laughs> because that's the next part that I was going to actually ask you about. I know that you're a specialist in aromatherapy. And I think, like you said, all of this connects to each other because as we become more aware of ourselves as caregivers, we have to take the time, like you said, to do personal work. And sometimes that includes becoming aware of those things that um, make our, diff our days a little bit more difficult because we're not dealing with it quite well. And utilizing strategies outside of us to help our senses be able to integrate a little bit better the information that's coming at us. And that's where aromatherapy would be a fantastic thing to keep in mind. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Okay, well, the, it, the, the uh, program that I developed over the years, and, and I'm not quite sure whether I told you that that's now going to be a book next year. So Oh, love. fantastic. Here we are. We're ahead <laughs> of the game. <laughs> round to writing all this down. Um, so uh -huh. as part of the, the process working with children, when we would, were looking at strategies for calming down, there were a group of children 
who we would describe being at the severe end of the autistic spectrum, um, who found life challenging and who found verbal interaction challenging. So I was working in the domain of using movement, working in the domain of using some simple drama games and some yoga games. And this seemed to be part of the process that, that was missing. And this was children's comfort zone about being touched and having people near them. But I know from child development that actually touching is so important to human development. And if we look at all the research, we understand that the developmental profile for children who are not receiving nurturing touch is, is, is very negative. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. Thank you for joining us here on Lifestyle Improvement for part one of our interview with Stephanie Lord. Miss Lord is a retired teacher who has worked with children with autism and adults with dementia. She is the co-author of the book, Planning to Learn, which was published in 2007, where she shares tried and tested techniques for creating and using a personal planner to help individuals on the autism spectrum to develop independence, and the book, Transition or Transformation, Helping Young People with Their Journey Towards Their Adult Lives, which was published in 2010. This book also covers information on autism, aromatherapy, and aroma touch, which is another field of expertise for Miss Lord. Both of these books were published by Jessica Kingsley Publisher and can be purchased at www.jkp.com. And don't forget to join us again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part two of our interview with Stephanie Lord.